Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 229. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we prep our arm fat for a vaccine jab. And then 21 days later, we prep it again for another jab. I am your host, Nikki Farsad, and I have vaccines on my mind. So today we're going to talk about the pandemic and the logistics of the jabbing of the arms. We'll also talk about Biden's cabinet picks and do a little Iran check-in. And finally, we'll talk about gift giving and if it's stressing you out. Um... Oh my God, today's panel is making me so happy. I am joined by, okay, first of all, both veterans of the show. So you basically know that I don't have to do my job because I have these two people on. That's that's A. Um, both veterans of the show, both wonderful. We're getting a heavy dose of Iranian energy up in this piece today <laughs> because on top of my Iranian, you're going to get the Iranian of the host of the Fraudsters podcast on Spotify. It launched just recently. It's so fantastic because this guy, everything he touches is just full of delight and entertainment. Entertainment, you guys. And smarts. And just, he's wonderful. I've known him forever. He's like my uh, little um, Iranian media brother. It's uh, <laughs> Sina Ghaznavi. Sina hey, Sina. Hello. Great to be here. Happy to be uh, your media little brother. It's my favorite position. <laughs> um, okay. And then also joining us on the show, and I'm pretty sure this person was on the very first episode of Fake the Nacion um, or Fake the Nacione which sounds wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, God, I she's one of those people whose book I keep on my nightstand just because I like to know that I know someone that wrote a book that good and that it just sits there and making that statement to everybody. For anyone who walks into my bedroom, you know what I'm saying? Um, she's also, I mean, guys, we've had some legends on this show and she is one. She just dropped a brand new special on Vimeo On Demand called Corona Borealis. You can get it on Vimeo On Demand slash Corona Borealis. She's the founder of Abortion Access Force. She is 
the reason I have performed, um, you know, in uh, support of women's reproductive rights in so many places in the country, and she's just a goddamn force to be reckoned with. You guys, it's Liz Winstead. Hey, Liz. Yay. It is me, and I am bringing all of the Iranian <laughs> energy I can muster. I can feel out it. Out of a Scandinavian <laughs> We're tripling the dose wow. today. Folks, you're getting a ton of Iran up in your earballs. <laughs> um, I'm so happy to have you both on the show. You, It's funny because pandemic looks good on you both. What? <laughs> you both actually look more joyful like than I anticipated you both looking. So anyways, well done on that. Um, let's get into it with topic number one. So in case you took a five-minute break from not thinking about it, the pandemic is still raging on. In fact, that second wave is even wavier than we thought it was going to be. Um, L.A. County has a stay-at-home order, which I was just kind of shocked by. A disaster, I believe, is the appropriate term for what's happening. Um, California was doing so well, and so it's just it's just shocking upon shocking. Um my first question is just, can you just tell me what is happening and why is it happening? Well, I'm in Minnesota, I'm in Minnesota which is number four. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, surrounded by numbers one, two, and three. <laughs> yeah. So I left Wait, Brooklyn what are, when it was at the height of the what pandemic. What are one, two, and three? North Dakota, South Dakota, gotcha. Wisconsin are just nailing it all so around good. me. Um, I left Brooklyn because I was like heavy in the pandemic and I came to Minnesota where I am from, where my family is, to get a breather. And instead, what I got was um, literally a Giardia windstorm full of COVID that has now just, I'm just in a panic state in my home. Giardia windstorm of COVID sounds like an artistic piece that I'd like to see hung up on a museum wall. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me, Liz, what is the mask vibe in Minnesota? You know, Minnesota is one of those states where, like, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Twin Cities is, um, you know, I mean, there's been a reckoning here. (laughs) <laughs> and a and a cultural awareness and a racial awareness. Um and 20 minutes outside of the the sort of metro area, you have the My Body, My Choice monsters, uh, and the COVID Karens who are just dominating just like everywhere else, where it's like they apparently is there anything more white privilegey than thinking you're not going to die? <laughs> like, if you ever thought that white privilege wasn't right. a thing, it is literally white people saying, I'm not going to die because I believe that that is my determination on the earth because I am white. And that's what it feels like to me. Um, Sina, our Iranian brothers and sisters in Los Angeles County, uh, which I think has the highest uh, proportion of Iranians outside of Iran. I don't know if that's still true. Is that still uh, yeah, true? Yeah, I, I, I can't true. imagine another place. Maybe a Great Neck. What? what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what, why, what's happening in, in California? I'll tell you what's happening. It's what yeah. happened to me over Thanksgiving when I asked my parents before my brother and I drove down to Pittsburgh to see them. I said, listen, this is a serious thing, mom and dad. We do you need to see us or are you and are you willing to die to see us? And my mom, not even <laughs> skipping a bit, she goes, Sina, you have to come. Not even just they are this is this a hardcore Iranian post-revolutionary parent that's like, I've survived enough. I've survived America, I've survived the Islamic Revolution. Yeah, I can survive a pandemic. So, I mean, it's it's not appropriate that we went, I know. But my mother was just too all about it for us to not do it. And I frankly, I think that's a, a sentiment that must be across the board among a lot of probably yeah. immigrant populations that have just been through the ringer over decades. It's like, come on. Let's uh, we got to do this. But the- yeah, can I get out of here? <laughs> well, one thing that I've noticed about like, again, this is like, you know, me talking out of my ass. But like if you just take a little quick peruse of the covid map. So like, you know, like Manhattan is doing very well, for example, most of like, you know, the 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 let's just be honest, white parts of Brooklyn are doing really well. I think, the you know, then you get into some ethnic territory and the numbers are higher. So we see and this is not 
you know, news to anyone. Obviously, we've seen a disproportionate effect of the pandemic on black, black and brown people. And the map shows that, especially in places like New York, where it's so clear, um, you know, the, 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 the zip code demarcation so clearly show uh, different types of population. But uh, the interesting thing that you say, Sina, is that, you know, if you're coming from certain types of families like mine, uh, I had, uh, uh, um, I have family in Orange County in California who are, were also like, unwilling to not have a Thanksgiving. There's some tight-knit family situations and interconnected family living that makes, I think, a, a virus easily transmissible, you know, in some of those situations. And so it's not just that, like, you know, it's not just that, like, black and brown people are more susceptible, but there's literally some family structures that are more susceptible or whatever, larger, more susceptible. And then kind of, like, um, you know, and then there's like the soulless people who don't see their families ever <laughs> who are really good at not spreading. No, I joke, but I'm just saying like, it's, it's a tough, I think it's tough to recognizing these different cultural realities and how, and how we're dealing with them and what it means in a pandemic. And what, what shows us the great American experiment other than the challenge of having a multicultural society, right? This is what it means. There's a reason that in Asia, like in Japan or, or, or other places over there, everyone's a pretty homogenous culture. So everyone has the same kind of value system in a way. Everyone has comes from the mm. same background. They have the same practices and customs. But in America, it's kind of just like a scattershot of all these different pockets. And then you now have this kind of uh, Q culture, if you will, that has now connected so many people into being anti-maskers. Combine that with you know, multi-generational families that are living together and immigrant populations and then populations that are also on the front line working, you've got just like a recipe for something that's very difficult to handle. But thankfully, we've had a president that's been able to unite this country, bring us all together, <laughs> show oh, us him. what oh, it means to be American. <laughs> Talk about, yeah, he's really bringing the Iranian energy into the White House. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the good news that we've had. And by the way, I somehow feel weird that I talked about interconnected family structures being more susceptible to the coronavirus. Like, please don't at me. I don't mean that in any bad way as someone who is from an interconnected family structure. I don't know why. I just feel like I'm getting canceled, like, as we speak. Um, okay. No, wait, how can we? Okay, tell me. Stop, because, no, because Asima said it, said it perfectly. You have, yeah. you have, you know, Families who are working, you have frontline workers, you have people who are sharing homes, multi-generational, interconnected. That's just yeah. the truth right. of it how, is, right? yes. how our economic structures and cultural structures have played out for immigrants and black and brown folks. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's not, it's not, you're not saying, look at how how immigrants and black and brown people are just walking around without masks. It's not. People are just working and living in, quarters. in the economic yeah. system. Um, that makes them more susceptible to the virus and then and then and then coming home and making the people that they live with more susceptible Folks, to the what virus. Liz said. So if you're going to cancel the game, <laughs> <Okay>. die in <laughs> I'll second that. Um, okay. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about vaccines. So there is some good news there. You know, there's, um, you know, the Pfizer vaccine is like getting packed onto planes like right now. So, uh, and there's there's three others in the pipeline. Um, so there's really some really good news about vaccines and how quickly they're going to come out. I think in England, like literally this week, they're starting to vaccinate people. So um, so we're I think they're maybe the first country that's that's starting the rollout. There's 21 million healthcare workers who are technically first in line, although part of the thing is that there's no overall rule about who is first in line. Um, the Trump administration, the, the loving Trump administration has left it up to states. Um, what do you, Liz, what do you think about how this should be distributed and what problems we might be facing with distribution? Well, I mean, I think that we've seen what happens when you leave things up to the states. You know, you have trash ass governors who are making decisions that are just epic. I mean, I, I think the governor of Florida literally thinks that you get rid of COVID by giving it to people who are visiting who will take it out of state. Like he, he has kept the beaches open. I mean, yeah. it's it's really regifting, regifting, yeah, yeah, regifting. You know, and so I think that when you have a lot of governors who are in denial about who gets it and how you get it and that it even exists, whether it's you work in a meatpacking plant, whether it, it, it and these are the people whose 
administrations whose health departments they have set up are going to set it out? No, that's why you need a federal response to who gets it, because this virus doesn't know a zip code or an area code. It, it is it's called a pandemic, not a mm. state-demic. Mm. You know? So it's like I, I feel massively frustrated and cannot wait for this person who is the biggest <laughs> pandemic of the year to just leave. <laughs> Sina, what are you? What what's your concerns about those vaccine rollout? Well, I think uh, to kind of echo what Liz was saying, when you deal with the states, you're almost kind of using like a market principle, where wealthier states are going to be able to be able to administer these things a little bit faster and make uh, different choices, and that terrifies me because whenever I think about a market solution, I think like <laughs> I think the lowest ends of society get shit on, and then you have this a caste system almost for people that are going to get the vaccine. But I don't know. Like, I don't even know if I want the vaccine up first. I think I want like V2 of the vaccine. I'm like unsure of the vaccine, frankly, because there's three different flavors. Which flavor am I supposed to get? Is it going to be the one that's like the most trusted one? Which one is New York going to get? What if the vaccines don't interact with each other? I, I These are all questions that the federal government is supposed to be answering for me as like a point of trust. And I, I have a problem with that right now. I'm, I'm nervous about that. My hope is that in the in coming, uh, upcoming administration, they will have clear guidelines, clear rules, clear like transparency on, hey, here's how the test went. Here's, here's what 90% effective actually means. I asked my brother, who's a doctor, I was like, 90%, that's an A minus. Is that what we want? And he's like, 90% is fantastic. 90% is the best thing you could ask for. I was like, okay, great. So someone needed to tell me that. Everyone doesn't have a brother that's a doctor, unless you're Persian. But it's like everyone. <laughs> I, I, in fact, do have a brother who's a doctor. So exactly. You're right. Persians in the house. And Liz, if you were a real Persian, you would have a brother who's a doctor. I have a brother in law who's a doctor. We just um, OK, doctor. there it is. Um, yeah. But, you know, just jumping up on that, you know, I run an abortion rights organization and this is so mm. reminiscent of how we look at reproductive rights um, in how we say, let's mm. let the states decide. Yeah, and that yeah, means yeah, yeah. that um, access to healthcare depends on your zip code. If you have money, you will get access to healthcare. If you yeah. don't, you will not. And so it is, you know, as we have these conversations and as these conversations bear out, um, I'm always, it's just so reminiscent of the work I do and that the most vulnerable populations are who are at most risk are going to be the last people to actually get the vaccine. And it's just it's just here we are acting like healthcare is not a human right yet again. And for me, it just it makes me sick to my stomach. You know, it's interesting because the I, I, I definitely agree that healthcare workers should be first in line. I mean, like we both have doctors. We have I have two, the dad and the brother doctors. Um, and, you know, and my dad, my dad's not even a frontline guy, but he's you know, he operates on people's lungs and shit. So, like, I, I would like him to be vaccinated sort of immediately, you know, um, so that I don't have to worry about him going into the same hospital that also treats covid patients or whatever, which which m makes sense. So to me, I'm like, throw them all into that pile, get them vaccinated. I trust the process because I also trust, you know, like, is it weird that I, tr I trust these pharmaceutical companies because I don't think they would want several million people. Like, this is a high stakes vaccine. This isn't like a drug you're giving to people that has, that have anxiety, right? Where you can get away with a lot more <laughs> of uh, fucking with people's lives. This is, um, this is a global vaccine, right? That they're developing, that these companies are developing. So I think like they're, I, I sort of believe in that in that process. And then also, you know, I believe that the FDA, I mean, the FDA has a really high standard, you know, so I also believe, you know, I'm, I'm I still believe in the FDA in, in maintaining those standards. Um, I do think, you know, like, depending on what state you're in, um, I would like to see teachers vaccinated really early. Um, 
in whatever phase two, um, you know, because there's, in some places they want to do people in nursing homes in phase two, in some places they want to do just people in age, there's 53 million adults age 65 or older. Um, when do we do them? There's 87 million essential workers. When do we do them? Um, I, I'm sort of in the, in the camp of like, let's get teachers vaccinated because the school system is relying on them being able to sort of safely interact with children. And I don't want them to be worried about their health, you know, as they do it. And I think, and they, so it's like them being vaccinated affects millions of students around the country. Uh, so for me, I'm like, let's throw them in higher up on the list. What do you think? And Amen. we do. Yes, first of all, of course. I mean, let's, let's just be real. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's also interesting. There are more than 100 million people with medical conditions that increase their vulnerability to the virus. I mean, how many people are in this country? Like 300 million. These are like so many of us are not in a good spot. <laughs> You know what I mean? It really need this vaccine. So anyways, on the, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's a gargantuan task. But on the school system front, I think it's super important, especially in New York City here. School is not just about education. It's about nutrition. It's about getting kids food. And, and that's like a huge, huge thing. And I can't speak for the rest of the country, but I know that a lot of kids in New York City depend on going to school to get food and breakfast and lunch and th those kinds of those kinds of things. That's super important. You know, if you got an empty stomach, you can't learn. It's just not possible. You should see me when I'm hungry. It's true. I'm a monster. Excellent point. Uh <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's not just tea, food. It's like it's like everybody yeah. who works in the school yeah. system, for sure. But like I, I've never trusted the pharmaceutical industry until mm. this point, and it's not because I trust them because I think they're fine humanitarians. It's that I know that their bottom line is to make as much money as possible. And unless you have people who are alive, you can't sell your other drugs to make your jillion dollars. So they need to make sure that they have people alive who will then have massive anxiety to sell those yeah. anxiety medications. So they need this to work. Uh, yeah, I agree. And let me, let me ask you, Liz, this, this final question, which is what do, what do you say to people who might be declining the vaccine? I mean, I, I I think that I can't, there's going to be those people and there's going to be all kinds of Alex Jonesy types and anti-vaxxers who will decline all vaccines. And I would say to them what I would say to them before COVID, which is uh, you've made a social pact to live amongst people. And unless you choose to live away from the rest of us, uh, you need to get a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> you need I to mean, get I think the bottom line of like you can have your job or, do, you know, whatever, it, it, as long as you have the vaccine will kind of motivate people to get a vaccine. Like money is a really great motivator, I think. And, and just being a part of the workforce is like essential to most people. So, I, yeah. And we'll see the civil libertarian, you know, the lawsuits that are going to come through this court system that has been, you know, stacked by people who have been had an allegiance to somebody who has not believed that this virus is serious uh, and going to the Supreme Court at what it means for civil liberties is going to be interesting. And we, we should also be looking towards what that looks like. Yay! Okay. <laughs> I'm bringing the fun. Did I mention I got a hilarious comedy special? <laughs> All right. Well, let's, um, let's take a quick break and learn about our sponsors who keep the lights on here at Fake the Nation, whom we love. And then when we come back, we'll talk about other things. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. 
And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are back and we're ready with topic number two. So let's talk about cabinet Let's talk about cabinet picks. Uh, Biden announced a frankly stunning number of ladies uh, to his cabinet. And I was like, I'm sorry, sir. Do you realize that broads are like moody? Um, but lead <laughs> leading the pack is Janet Yellen. She was named Treasury Secretary. Just initial thoughts on Janet Yellen. I mean, if you're not going to give me Elizabeth Warren, I'll take Janet Yellen. Yeah, so were you really Yellen disappointed by I that? Or what did you... Now, you got a Republican governor it's in Massachusetts. Just a tough situation. You're not going to take Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. You know, just tapping anybody out of the Senate with a Republican governor ain't happening yeah. this That's year. That's a really good point. I love Janet Yellen. I think she's a reasonable, responsible human being. And at this point, it's like anyone that comes into the administration, just just not be a hair-on-fire maniac. That's all I'm asking. Just this, this is it. <laughs> we know the Biden administration is the tourniquet on, like, our severed arm that is spewing blood out of America. And so this is all I'm looking for. Just give me... I remember when Trump was picking his cabinets it was like uh, the uh, the starting lineup of like the evil villains justice league you know there was like devos and then and, and drex tillerson and i was looking at all these people right. i was like these are like super villains all of them how how is this possible these people uh, that he's putting in his cabinet all seem very reasonable they seem like logical people. I, I don't have a big problem with them coming from Ivy League schools, although I do like to make fun of people that went to Ivy League schools. But, you know, it's not a big deal. You want smart, competent people that are going to be able to keep the country moving. I'm going to write. I'm going to say something about the Ivy League schools, but I do want to point out about Janet Yellen that she believes that income inequality is an economic problem. I think that's fun. Um, let's... You know what? That sounds crazy. <laughs> right? I was like, that's amazing. Um, she believes that climate change is also an economic problem. It is. And that it's real. And it's real. And it's real. Um, here's another fun thing about her. 
she predicted the housing crisis in 2008. She was like, hey, this is, seems super not cool, and I think there's going to be a great recession, and then there was. Um, so that's, she's a smarty pants, and she said publicly um, about the pandemic that the U.S. needs to, quote, continue extraordinary fiscal support in order uh, to basically uh, cushion the pandemic and help us get out of it, um, the, you know, the the economic turmoil that's that's come from it. And I, it just, she just seems re- remarkably reasonable. Also, Republicans seem like cool with her. You know, she does seem like a good kind of bipartisan choice, even though, you know, she's, she was chosen by um, Democrats in the past. Uh, one of the people, it's funny because one of the people that was, that, that's been nominated for um, head of the Office of Management and Budget as Neera Tanden, uh, who would also be the first Indian American to hold that position. Um, and she's like the president of the of a liberal uh, think tank called Center for American Progress. And it's interesting because when you're talking about like, you know, the the just the evil justices, what? The, the evil, League of Evil, evil Villains? <laughs> I don't know what the villain the version Justice is. <laughs> I'm not great at modifying Marvel comic <laughs> references for the record. Um, in that I don't know any. Um but uh but you know, I think th- that you you see the right sort of trying to do that with some of these cabinet picks. And like Nira Tannen is someone who tweets vociferously. Um she has she's not one of these people that's been quiet about her you know she's not as like uh what's the diplomatic with her opinions or whatever as like a janet yellen is um who's who's i think the most crazy thing she said is that we should quote continue extraordinary fiscal support right like that's the kind of ooh that janet yellen is bringing to the table but near tenon is is more blatantly political than that um and you know and people like tom cotton have been like well there's gonna be a fight over people like Nira tandon or whatever and it's just funny to me because it's like well these people are also incredibly skilled it's harder i think when you're like you, you're scratching at the barrel to try and find problems. If near a tandem is your problem, you know. Well, I mean, to be fair, near a tandem, like it, it. You know, I think we all agree exactly what you said, Seema, that anybody's going to be better than who Trump puts on. But for us to just dismiss near a tandem uh, as somebody from the left, who. You know, I felt like when I was supporting Bernie in 2016, but because I didn't feel like Hillary was to be anointed, Neer Tandon made it really clear that I was not welcome and that I was a traitor and how dare I. And made that pub not not me, Liz Winstead personally, but right. those who right. supported Bernie. You know, if you wanna if you wanna crap all over garbage Bernie bros who don't see that there is a difference and who like drill their he- heels in, that's one thing. But like I don't I'm, I'm, it's a system that is, I feel like there's, and this is one of the reasons I'm excited about Biden is that I'm going to get, be able to get back to having a political system where I can demand something of the person Mm -hmm. I voted for rather than being in a, you know, holler of bad terribleness that is going to go unchecked. And so as these people come to be, um, I think it's fair to criticize Neera Tandon from the left because it's a very different criticism than Tom right. Cotton <laughs> right, right, being right, all right. mad about Neera Tandon having a Twitter feed that was um, calling out garbage, which also she did very well. She called it garbage very well. But like, hey, Tom Cotton, clean your own house up. How about that? Seems like you haven't your toilet's been clogged up in the White House for four years. Why don't you flush that? instead of talking about the Democratic toilet, because that happens yeah. constantly, that they just love to tell Democrats how to clean it up when, like, we've had four years of right. that. Uh, and, and well, the the, the thing with, t- with Marco Rubio, Marco Rubio, who I feel like has lost his sense of self, um, he is the one that complained about these people being Ivy League educated and polite or something, and they're going to preside over the decline of, our Amer- of America or something like that. Um I think what's also what's fun about criticism like that is that Biden and Kamala Harris did not go to Ivy League schools. (laughs) So, you know, it's just like, well, I mean, yeah, there's going to be some people that went to Ivy League schools for sure. Um, But the top of the ticket randomly did not. So it's just it feels like a like it just feels silly. But um, but also I have never I mean, I went to Ivy League schools. So like I'm not the I'm not the best person to defend this, but I've never had a pro- I've never had a problem with it because also like you can also buy your place at an Ivy League school like Jared Kushner and you get so if the point is like do you want 
It's like there are also dum-dums at Ivy League school. I don't know what the point is. Or there's also smart people at non-Ivy League schools. Like there, there's no blanket assessment of uh, Ivy League schools because Jared, Jared Kushner came out of one, but so did, you know, Janet Yellen, right? So I don't know what to say. So it almost then means nothing, <laughs> you know what I mean, at the end of the day. They have to reach for something. I mean, that's the I think that's what's remarkable about this is that there's nothing in their body of work for them to really latch on to other than this just casual kind of connection that they all went to an Ivy League school. And Liz, I couldn't agree with you more about Nira. I felt the same way as a, as a, also a Bernie supporter. I was like, yo, what do you mean? I don't support Russia. And like, it, I'm not trying to get in bed with Russia. This is weird that I'm being like painted with such a broad brush. And frankly, she's going to have to interact with Bernie quite a bit because he's probably going to be headed up the budget committee. And so what does that say? What I think that my problem is this administration sent a signal to everyone that's like in the know, if you will, about the relationship between the two wings, the two parts of the Democratic Party. And instead of like this, I'm Uncle Joe, everyone's going to get along. It's going to be like, well, leftists, you guys have to take a seat because we've got this centrist kind of coming in and this is how we're going to do things. And frankly, I'm not crazy about that. I think there's a lot of solutions that we need a lot more progressive legislation for. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. Are we going to have arguments on Twitter between Bernie's communications director and Nia Tandon? I hope she doesn't tweet as much while she's working for the federal government as she did when she did it and just ran a, a, a political committee. I want all of but them think, not to tweet. I would love <laughs> four tweetless years. I would just love the government to be like, we don't do Twitter. We we log on at every national holiday to wish Americans a happy Arbor Day or whatever the fuck. And that's it. Like, I don't need to hear anybody on Twitter ever. Let's go back to really reasoned, well thought out press uh, releases <laughs> You know what I mean? That, you know, that yeah. that we um, can can consume through thoughtful sources. I just don't want fuck Twitter forever. And for I just hope that the Biden administration is like emphasize it, it, that you're right, that Neera Tandon doesn't tweet. The the this country was built on and founded on the Internet of cat pictures, and it needs to continue that <laughs> for the foreseeable future. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, and I just I just feel like I'm glad that like and this is the conversation that I want to get back to having. Like, I feel like we need to be duking it out over how we solve climate change, yeah. not whether or not it exists. And to have the centrist left debates, um, it's up to us progressives and it's up to everybody who has an opinion to fight for that opinion and to hold people accountable to give bring the solutions they want. That's the deal I made with myself when I cast my vote for Biden is that if I cast my vote for this person who I know doesn't share a lot of my values or doesn't push forth a lot of my values, that I am going to make my voice heard on that. And you know, just back to that whole Harvard thing, like one thing I think that goes unnoticed, by the way, Tom Cotton did go to Harvard, <laughs> if you just to just to double down on your point. Um, but I do believe there has been a decades long um, push towards anti-intellectualism mm. to where people who did go to Ivy League schools and people who are really smart to convince those who didn't or those who have taken a different path that people who are really smart are not going to be the best people to solve the problems, but are people who are really smart and going to try to fool you. And I think that we need to break right, some yeah, of that yeah, down yeah, as yeah, well yeah. to say having an education is really what we want. We actually want the smartest yes. person in the room. We don't want the guy who brought the beer bong. But who knows America more? Yeah. Who knows bar. America more, though? Come on now. <laughs> Come on now, Liz. <laughs> I mean, and I, but I do want to say, I, I want to say, yeah, I just want to say <laughs> defense of like Ivy League schools or whatever. Oh, here we go. And I, I just I want to I just want to be honest. I want to be. <laughs> oh, here we go. This is where you're yeah. <laughs> I just want to be friend. honest about something that I noticed in my not one but three Ivy League degrees oh. that. <laughs> Yeah, I, listeners of the show are oh like, shut God. the fuck uh, this up was, about this. this. I know, I know. Jesus wow. Christ, I'm the worst. But set but, it down, <laughs> sister. What but the like fuck? Like, you know, you think of a school like you know this the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia. The people there worked really hard, and it was really hard. 
it was a really hard place to to be. It was hard to get in. It was hard to do the work. It was hard. Um, and so not as hard as listening to you go on. <laughs> no, and on okay, about it, yes, right. So my point is, like, it's okay for us to also be like, oh, that's. They have a oh they've they've done a lot of they have a lot of experience they have a lot of education like that's great yeah I mean it's which is your point Liz is like it's okay for us to also recognize that it is okay to have an education that is good you know what I mean like all of that mm-hmm. is okay and it's weird we've gotten into such a weird space where everyone also tries to like you know, really downplay anything about themselves that might seem elitist as opposed to saying like, you know, um, Janet Yellen wasn't elitist. She was just incredibly exceptional or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's okay for people to also have been exceptional. And then also it's okay to also recognize elitism. You know, we can all, we can, we can think of all these things at the same time and hold them in our heads in a nuanced fashion is all I'm trying to say. It doesn't matter. Let's move on to um, a quick Iran check-in. Uh, so the head of Iran's main nuclear, uh, of, of Iran's nuclear program uh, and the uh, senior defense official Mohsen Fakhrizadeh was assassinated last week. Um, Sina, you're Iranian. So let's start with you, Liz. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Sina, <laughs> Sina, this is your one and only Iranian privilege moment. You go first and tell me what you think about this assassination and what it means. Okay, so I think I think we've talked about this, uh, Iran in general, on the show before. I think it's always good to set up the context of what the Iranian debate is always about. And there's two kind of factions, right? There's the part uh, of the um, kind of the Iranian di- diaspora that wants to make peace, quote, peace with Iran right now and have economic relations with Iran, right? And that would be what some people on paper say is a great idea. But there's people like myself that would say, I think that's a terrible idea because what you're doing is you're going to change Iran into a China or a Saudi Arabia. And frankly, I don't think that's the best thing because we ignore their human rights violations. We ignore the gender apartheid that's going on there right now. We ignore the fact that they are disappearing lawyers, that they're disappearing journalists, and that, that women that choose to take their hijab off in public are being kidnapped by the government, arrested, and put on trial without proper representation. Is that we have an opportunity right now to say that is not a country that we want to do business with? Now, do I think the way to do that is by greenlighting Israel to assassinate nuclear scientists? And and I don't think so. I don't think that's the best way to go about doing it. But I think in this debate, those are the two points of view that keep clashing. And they always, especially in our community, which is so fragmented and we can never agree on anything. But that is what always is troubling. And like you just said, we can hold two complex ideas in our mind at the same time. We can be for peaceful negotiations and relations that do not that also account for the human rights violations that they continuously choose to do. And I frankly do not want to be associated with a government and economically speaking in that way. Saudi Arabia we don't, and China, it's a wrap. We've already gone too far down down the road with them. We can't just break relations with them. It would be too concussive to our foreign policy and our economic relations. But Iran... They need us to come back to the Iran deal. They need money to get their economy going again. So if they don't get back into the Iran deal, they have very few options to actually restart their economy. And one of the reasons I think Israel and the United States kind of helped to do this was because if they don't have a nuclear program, they lose a lot of their leverage when they come to the table. So that means that America all of a sudden and any other multilateral countries that come to the table, which is what I hope happens, can actually exert more pressure. So, you know, it's inherently a bad thing to be killing people in this way and assassinating people. But we also have to know that it's even worse, in my opinion, that we do business and greenlight a country that has as many human rights violations as Iran does. Woo! Well done, Jesus, Cena. That was uh, fuck. I mean, you said it all, and I also just want to add to that: as Americans, where will we get our pistachios <laughs> um, if we don't <laughs> resume relations with Iran? No, but I also, but I want to say something uh, about sanctions, and 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 that we make the task of um, of kind of fixing their human rights problems more difficult 
when we have the kinds of sanctions that we have on that country. And just to give you um, an example of how difficult sanctions have been on that country, my uncle by marriage um, is his sister recently died of COVID uh, in Iran. Very sad. When she went into the hospital, um, they didn't have oxygen because of sanctions. And so they're they're just... chronically have a lot of supply shortages. Um, they have shortages of every stripe in that country. Um, and so they, her family had to go out on the streets and try and get some black market oxygen, which they managed to. Things were looking really good. When you, when you are in the hospital for COVID in the United States, I think you're typically put on some sort of a blood thinner to avoid getting clots, which is one of the little the side effect, possible side effects of COVID. And in Iran, because of shortages, because of, I don't know, mismanagement, because of various reasons, she did not get that blood thinner. And when things were looking very good and she was off the oxygen and when it looked like she was going to, that she was going to be released from the hospital, she then suddenly died from the blood clots. Now, this is, again, this is sanctions directly affecting the life of an individual in Iran. Um, And it's... um, so then when we say to countries, now we have a list of, of human rights violations that we want you to correct, it's hard, I think, to give them, not give them the lifting of sanctions as a starting place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because people are literally dying because of them. So I don't know. Liz, final thoughts? I just think that when it comes to creating relationships, you have if you are going sanctions mm. destroy the people. Exactly. They don't destroy exactly. the powerful. And so when you destroy the people, especially the Iranian people who have a large affinity for America, um, I feel like we so often are palling around with assholes and screwing over the people, whether it is in um, you know, Saudi Arabia, whether it is in Iran, you know, we do not try to win the hearts and minds of the people so that the, and then in turn we can support something that happens that comes from the people of Iran. Um, so I just think you don't kill people who are literally holding government. They are not a rogue nation. Iran is an actual nation, everybody. Hi, America. Um, and I, I just feel like it's very complicated when we, when we have a history of overlooking human rights violations in so many ways yeah, as a nation. It's so complicated. Um, I don't know the answer, but I just know that um, the way that we do conduct things yeah. doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem good. 100. Doesn't seem like yeah. a solution. Well, we didn't solve that one, folks. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Let us move on to topic number three that I'm pretty sure we can fucking solve today right on this show. So topic number three, it's the season of gift giving. No matter what religion you are, hey Muslims, you end up buying gifts right around now for some nebulous group of people. The rules are always confusing. Whether or not you're expected to buy a gift is confounding. Sometimes it's stressful. Sometimes there's a soupçon of excitement for the wondrous gift you've found. Either way, it takes up a lot of mental space. So let's just start with the the basic question. Liz, what is your relationship to holiday gift giving? Um, gigantic. <laughs> My Christmas tree has been up for 18 months. Uh, I love the holidays. I um, My relationship, though, to gift giving um, is I am always, I don't just buy things for people that like so-and-so needs a sweater. I shop all year long normally. Ah. I travel a ton. And I am in vintage stores and antique stores and flea markets constantly. And so I am always looking all year long for that weird special thing for people. So I love giving a gift that really um, is a is a reminder of the relationship I have with someone. Um, so I find this year really painful hmm. because I'm not out in the world, um, yeah. in the ether, you know, finding those things. So it's 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 a it's a hard. Wow. It's I want to be one. on Liz's Christmas list. That sounds amazing. Oh my god. 
<laughs> it's fun. No, literally, like, I have found oh, some belt man. buckles and some things that are, like, epic well, for uh, me. Also, I just want to say that I've been to uh, a Liz Winstead Christmas party, and let me just say, banging, and I believe bacon wrap dates were involved oh, yeah. at one of them. Uh, so I, they're just things that I, the, the, the food, the tonnage of food involved was also extremely yeah, impressive. And I make it all. Like, I really get involved in, I'm a big fan of, um, I know holidays are incredibly painful for so many people. So I love to recreate tradition and then present it with an openness for those who have never experienced it in a good way so that it's not always, I do a Thanksgiving too for folks who don't have any place to go. So it's very important for me that things feel nice and pretty and, and comforting and it doesn't have all the baggage of your of, of your the previous life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Sina? Wow, this is I, it's such a different experience for me because my parents, uh, when they came to America, I think I was maybe one or less than one, and they got, my mom went to uh, the, uh, it was like a department store and asked for a Christmas tree that was in the window, and it was a display tree. And my brother was getting made fun of at school because he didn't know what Christmas was at that time. And so these nice people brought this fake Christmas tree to our home. And that's been the f- same Christmas tree that my family has used <laughs> over 35 years. But my, but my family, we don't, you know, Christmas is Christmas. That's just like a, a, you know, a ho- an American holiday almost for them. Right, right, and right, so right. Yes. my mom being an interior designer, we had fake presents beautifully decorated <laughs> under the tree. And so I would go to these gifts and I'd be like, Dad, what did you get? And like, no, do not touch that scene. It's not real. I'm like, what do you mean it's not real? And then I have to come to grips with this fact that these gifts aren't real. And then I'm going to get this. And then it's a sweater. Anyways, so my wife That's and I were So they were just like something. styrofoam boxes that were in wrapping or something. They were oh, like beautifully wrapped, like empty boxes. <laughs> People would come over and be like, oh, what a beautiful tree. It's nice presents. No, That's hilarious. None of it's for real. It's unbelievable. That's so funny. <laughs> I can't never heard so. that before. I have never heard that before. That's so fucking well, funny. Um, okay, so let me ask you both this this critical question, which is that, and we saw this on a piece on the cut, should you buy your boss a gift? Or just like, what is your rule around professional relationships and gifts? And it's funny because, you know, when I was like younger, I didn't feel any pressure to do any gift giving. Um, I just felt like, so low on the rung and it just, I didn't, it just, I didn't have this thought at all. Um, but now I'm like an adult and I have more, I do feel more of like a gift giving pressure in professional situations. So what is your, do you have a rule of thumb, Liz, on like what kind of, like, should a person give a gift to their boss, for example? So I am a boss, right. you know, I run this organization. So what, we do, we have a year-end, we call it the year-end party because we have mm-hmm. people of all faiths and what have you. Hey, um, and so what Sorry. we do, <laughs> yeah, so what we do is we we create an experience for our team that's really fun. Um, and then we give a small gift. And then the team, um, the team puts in, it for they just decided this, they each put in $10 and they buy a gift for my partner and I who run the organization. And then um, they just do that. And so they, they, they choose to do that. And, and, and uh, we, we obviously don't say you have to buy us a gift, but that way you don't have to buy for other people. Like um, you don't have to buy for everybody that you work with. And so they just do it as a token of, a fun thing to do in the in the scheme of um, how we right. conduct ourselves during that that particular celebration. Cena. Yeah, I like to give a gift. I mean, I'm a, I'm a I work for myself as well, and I'm a, I run a little small production company. And I I think Liz's idea is great, and I'm probably gonna steal it and try to do it with my crew too. But the people that were that are our clients, I will just send like a gift in the middle of the year, like as a thank you, or if we've closed something or finished something. It feels weird for me, given my history, to be sending <laughs> gifts on Christmas or a holiday. I don't know what religion people would are or happy holiday Would it feel more gift. normal if you were just sending empty boxes to people? Would that yeah, would feel be more? Sure. 
This is a beautifully wrapped 14 karat gold wrapping paper. Enjoy. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not too crazy. I've yeah. never really, and then I always get, I overthink it. Like, am I getting the right thing? What am I doing? You know, so I, I mean, I just try to do a nice thank you gift to, to the bosses quote that I've had. Well, and you're in a different position, too, where I run a nonprofit, so I can't actually send gifts to, like, the foundations who fund us and stuff like that. If I was a a for-profit company and I had clients who were, like, amazing, um, I would probably think about, you know, what kind of of thing do I send saying, it's been great to work with you, I'm I'm appreciating you, and it would probably be some smallish nutty thing. In the shape of a uterus, <laughs> which is usually how we push it out. Right. So let me write that work. down. Shape um, of a uterus. But like, yes. Yeah, so I feel you, Seema, because that's that's the tricky part, right? Where it's folks that are hiring you yeah, to do yeah. stuff versus um, like we have a million small donors. So I personalize. This is insane. I just actually finished doing it. I we send out holiday cards to everyone who's ever donated time or money. You'll be getting Amazing. one. I've and I personally the yes, sign she them. She really all. does. Yes. So I um, and I put a note in each one um, because I just feel like it's important that people. Yeah. Take the can time. I just say? So, and I can I just say as as the, literally someone who's received one of those cards that it is so delightful. And I think in general. Any impulse that people have, especially right now, we're in a pandemic, everyone's financial situation is weird. Like, don't, you don't have to give in to the thought of like buying a gift. I think a card is so meaningful and it does basically the same thing. You get that jolt of recognition. You get that just like, like that joyous feeling that someone remembered you, like you get all of that from a card. So I feel like the, that pressure to give a gift, you you just, you shouldn't have it. And in, in the cut in this um, etiquette article that we were reading, they wrote, it's a thoughtful impulse. This is about buying a gift for your boss. They wrote, it's a thoughtful impulse, but resist it. Etiquette says that gifts at work should flow downward, not upward. So you shouldn't be buying gifts for your boss. And the rule is rule exists because of power dynamics in the boss employee relationship, which totally makes sense. It's interesting because I, you know, I have I had someone working for me um, when I was doing a like a sort of baby shower situation, and she knew, you know, she knows my husband, she knew my dog, blah blah blah. She was going to know this baby, so I wanted to invite her to the baby shower, but I didn't want her to feel like she had to get anything, and. You know, and she came and she she bought socks, which I thought was really adorable and super um, appropriate because, you know, I was it was like, OK, like I'm going to cover the cost of these socks with like a year end bonus or something. You know what I mean? It's like I man, I but it's it, it stressed me out that she got me that she got my baby <laughs> socks. You know what I mean? And just like, don't you know what I mean? It, it stresses me out because then I'm like, I don't want you to you know what I mean? I'm paying you and this is, ah, you know, so I think in general. Like, don't stress out your boss. Don't give them anything. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, yeah. And if it's just a team thing, that's then it, fine. If you want to do think, it, yeah, if it's a yeah, team yeah. thing, then that's fine. Like, and then it's not one person doing it. But also throughout the year with our team, it, you know, everybody on our team, because we're on the road so much, um, it's also finding like a patch that they found for 10 cents. Like, right. like somebody on my team found a patch that said cult leader <laughs> on it and gave it to me. Like, and that's just yeah, like yeah, hilarious yeah, yeah. to me, you know? And so those little tiny things that appear on your desk or that, that scream, this is you, um, that that's going around constantly, um, in, in the workplace for me as that's, well. So, yeah. I think I that's know. really lovely. Um, and Sina, one thing that I do sometimes is just during, um, Persian New Year, I send a card to like some of my professional peeps. Um, And sometimes, and and it's not chocolate in the shape of a uterus, but it is chocolate that I will include. Like even just like literally a small chocolate because I know the excitement of opening a piece of mail and there's chocolate in it. It's just like really, (laughs) it's just like there's some, there's there's kind of nothing better. Um, And so sometimes I do that. Like I turn Persian New Year into something that, that I'm just like, I'm forcing you to recognize this Persian New Year, but it's also fun. (laughs) 
and you didn't know you were going to get this card. You didn't know that I was celebrating Persian New Year with you. Um, and so it kind of makes that uh, fun. Um, can I make a suggestion? I would love for you guys to join me. Although Liz has already mentioned a bunch of, I, I would love for someone to get me a patch that says cult leader on it for the record. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I want to make a suggestion for a gift that you didn't know you needed that is, I think, a great, like, secret Santa type team gift or whatever, which is um, a kitchen timer for your, that's like, for your kitchen that's on, a, like, an old school wind up kitchen timer. Because I've been using my phone's timer to bake or whatever, and it makes me more attached to my phone. I just, like, I, I want to have fewer and fewer attachments to my stupid fucking phone. And I was at Lancelotti, my local shop, local. Everybody knows I've been talking about it incessantly. Please shop local, please shop local, please shop local. But I was at my local houseware store, Lancelotti, which I think has a website here in the East Village. You can buy stuff from them. Um, and they just had these kitchen timers and they looked cute and they're magnets and you just put them up on the thing and you wind it and you and it's like a cuter way of timing your bakes and it keeps you away from your phone. So that is my weird recommendation. Do you have a recommendation? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Liz. <laughs> the Tingler. What's that? In the time of COVID, the Tingler. So you might not know it as the Tingler, but it is a really, really calming thing for people. So huh. it's um, it's that thing that is, it's got a handle and oh. it has a whole bunch of wires on yes. it. It looks like a wire dome. Oh. And you take the handle and then you um, put it on your skull. Yeah. For, uh, and it's a very soothing, relaxing thing that you can do to yourself or do to somebody else. But it really lowers your blood pressure. And it's also a very intimate thing to do with friends or someone who is more than a friend, but it is a very loving thing to do for yourself or for someone else because it really just um, touches into your head and is a very personal thing that is super helpful in these stressful times. I love it. At the mall, those guys come and do that. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. That's great. Um, I also think I've seen that at like a gift shop. Exit nine in the East Village shop local. They, and they're 10 they're bucks. So they're yeah, great. It's funny. I never they're thought great. to try one. Cena, what's your idea? Uh, mine is actually something that I that I use that I think has changed my vibes for sleeping. It's actually having a real alarm clock. I have like a nice, like soothing, yes. like natural nature sounds alarm clock. So I have like birds chirping when I wake up in the morning that combat the, you know, fire truck that goes by my building. So it's like a nice, easier <laughs> way. And frankly, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I think there's something happened that's coming in out of my phone that's making my sleep patterns all weird. So I like to have the yeah. phone outside of the bedroom. <laughs> my wife hasn't gotten on board yet, so I don't think I'm actually helping myself at all. But an actual alarm clock, because also you don't want to like grab your phone and like hit it off the table or whatever when you're, you know, half asleep and stuff. So I really like having an actual alarm. Yes, I love that. And I have also recently joined the cult of alarm clocks um, and putting my phone in the other room. And then my my last idea for great gifts is I just bought from, I think it's a company called New York Puzzles. Anyways, it was at the Winter Market in Bryant Park. If you're in New York City, go to the Winter Market. It's really fun. Um, there's ice skating, um, safe ice skating by appointment. Um, and I bought a, I bought, I bought a, a couple of puzzles as gifts. And um, I think they're like a great, I mean, they, they, they be regain popularity during the pandemic or whatever, but like, I think also make a great, you know, make a great gift. I would like to double down on that and say that I gave, um, last year, um, to my best friend, a puzzle that was made of a photograph of us. Oh my um, God. And it was really, it was really great and super special. And, um, you can request the amount of puzzle sizes. So I had the pieces really small. Um, and the box, um, it, you can, you can request that the box doesn't have anything on it. So they have to figure so it you out. Have oh to, my God. Yeah. They have to figure it out. And it was really special. So, um, you know, it was out of, it was, this, it was, a, it was not a local company, but it was a family own company that you had on online, you could do online. And that was a really special gift. So for if you can't see your friends or if there's a really meaningful um, 
uh, vacation or trip or experience that you had with someone you love, you can um, do a puzzle made of that. That's really lovely. I love that idea. Love that idea. Um, Okay, well, that is the end of that topic. And just remember to shop local. Also, hey, give a gift certificate of a local restaurant that you know your friend lives nearby because they probably need the help. Okay, folks, that is the end of the show. And I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the stuff that you do. Uh, Liz Winstead, what what should they be checking out? Where should they follow you? Tell us everything. You can follow me at Liz Winstead on all the socials and check out my comedy special. It is crazy. I shot it on the shore of a lake. My audience was in kayaks. And then I shot the second part outside in 19 degree weather with people around fires. It's wild. And I summarize the year that was. And it's crazy. On Vimeo On Demand slash Corona Borealis. Corona Borealis, guys. On Vimeo On Demand. I cannot wait to watch this. This sounds crazy and amazing and um, beautiful. It, it sounds beautiful to look at. So I'm really excited to see that. Cena, uh, where do people find you and what do you want them to be listening to or looking at? You can find me at Cena now, S-E-E-N-A-N-O-W on all the socials and you should listen to Fraudsters only on Spotify. We're just doing a little series on Kevin Trudeau, the king of infomercials that got banned from infomercials. We've done episodes on Miss Cleo, Jim Baker, uh, Anna Sorokin, Jacob Wool. It's it's been such a pleasure to do the show. If you are a vulnerable person that got taken advantage of financially, uh, we are doing shows on the scammers that did that to you. So it's been great to like get back at these fraudsters. Oh my God. The show sounds so fun and so such a, just a delight to listen to. Um, folks, definitely subscribe. Uh, and you know where to find me and all the things that I do. Nagin Farsad on all of the social platforms that I dislike. Uh, no, um, I would like to really, though, uh, thank the production team here at Fake the Nation. That's our producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, Gabby Alterroder, theme music, and Lily Fleshler helps out with research. And folks, we love to hear from you. So send us your feedback, topics we should be chatting about, guest ideas you might have. You can leave us a voicemail at 331 or drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com. If you like what you hear, please favorite Fake the Nation on Stitcher. Follow us on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps more people find the show. Um, You're delightful. We'll be back in your earballs next week. <laughs>